Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today's episode stars current USA National Team setter Lauren Carlini. Lauren takes us through her rise to Wisconsin volleyball fame, detailing her many experiences starting at the ripe age of six years old at Sports Performance. She describes a militant fashion in which she learned how to play volleyball, getting cut from her 14s team, and learning that just because she was good didn't mean she could act like a diva. Her early decision to be a part of the Badger volleyball family. The connection she had with coach Kelly Sheffield, the program's immediate transformation into a national championship contender, playing on some of the best teams in the world with some of the best players in the world, especially opposites, and much more. Enjoy. Hello. What's up? Whole lot of nothing. Sweet. Well, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. Of course. We're excited to have another setter on. We keep, I think inherently, we just keep getting setters because we're both setters. So we're just like, let's just get yep. another one on. These people make sense. Yeah. These people get like it. We're, these, these we just people. get it. All right. We have to think for everyone else and ourselves. Yeah, we're paid babysitters. Overpaid babysitters is what we are. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah, therapists. Depends on the day. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> At least with women's volleyball. I don't know about men's, but. No, it's the same with men. Mm-hmm. For sure. But uh, anyways, the first question we usually start with is just, how did you get into volley? How did I start volleying? Um, Well, it all started with my mom. She played volleyball in college at Appalachian State in North Carolina. Um, And after she had me, I mean, she was playing up until I think like eight months pregnant with me and just doing um, like women's Wednesday night leagues uh, in Illinois. And so as soon as she had me then, she just went right back to playing in all these uh, nightly leagues uh, for like older women late 20s and then that's kind of when I started um just right away and so then I started playing club officially when I was six years old um ended up playing club for 11 years and I know (laughs) were you right this whole time basically yeah I was I was that's right for 11 years which I think is a record you know not surprisingly (laughs) um (laughs) So yeah, it was just like from day one, super disciplined, super on top of it, like military style style training, which I loved. Like that's where I thrived. Um, And then ended up going to Wisconsin for four years. And then four years after that, here I am. I heard that you wanted to go to Wisconsin for like ever. Yeah, like coming out of the womb. Um, Basically, (laughs) it was it was really random, but there was this girl named Maria Carlini and she was playing at Wisconsin when I was coming up through like elementary school and middle school. 
And I was like, that's super cool. She has my last name. Like, let's go check it out. Um, so I started going to camps, found out we were not related. She's Canadian. Um, but just had the same last name and I thought that was dope. So that's kind of how I initially got into the Wisconsin pipeline. And then I got to know the coaching staff really well, just through camps and going there every summer and then committed there my freshman year in high school. Um, and yeah, stayed the course. <laughs> Wisconsin volleyball. It was, it was tough. I was on a pot, um, this like seminar the other day and the girls were asking like so when did you get recruited and I'm like oh I hate this question (laughs) because it's like so unorthodox to commit so early and especially now it's illegal you can't even do it until like your junior year so I was like this is totally not not relevant anymore but I committed super early I do not recommend doing that because you don't know what you want when you're 14 15 years old you know you can you barely know what you're gonna have for lunch so don't recommend so when you were seven years old playing club, what age group did you play with? I started with tens. So there is a tens division. Wow. There is a tens division, believe it or not. Um, all the kids whose parents were crazy and were just like, you know what? We need them out of the house. Go, go play volleyball. Like, go play with your friends for a while. So yeah, I was playing with tens for like three or four years. <laughs> That's insane. It was fun because like I always had to I always played up two years and then starting my 14s year that's when I like let my age group catch up so then I played two years 14s first year was with older girls second year was with my age group and then I skipped all the odd ones so I did 10s 12s 14s 16s 18s (laughs) no that's the dream I mean I played okay in Seattle we had like eight guys and that was it. So whoever was okay. the at what age? Whoever was the eldest, that's what age group you had to play. <laughs> <laughs> magically, we always had For like fourteen round up to eighteen. Got yeah, it. Magically, we All always right. had like a senior in high school that came out of the woodworks and was like, "I want to start playing volleyball." We're like, "Well," I was like, "Man, I thought this is my chance to play sixteens as a twelve-year-old." And it's like, "Yeah, playing eighteens again." <laughs> If he's 18, I'm 18. <laughs> yeah, that was literally my whole life. And then I graduated high school at 17, so I never even got to play. I was never 18 to play U18. Aww. I never got to relish in it, you know? Yeah, okay. you never got to be the big dog. You were always the youngin. I was the young pup. Sad. My whole the life. The young pup. <laughs> the young pup. The young calf. You like Spry's uh, militaristic... Uh, tactics yeah I learned to love it at first I surely did not because I had enough of that at home like my dad was pretty strict and (laughs) um really just with the rules loved it but I mean I after my okay long story short I tried out my first year no I played I was there for like six years maybe five six years and then 14s came around and tried out like we do every year. And (laughs) this coach who ended up being my favorite coach of all time, he cut me. And I was like, what the hell? So I go to the bathroom. I call my dad on my, you know, Motorola Razor phone. I'm like, dad, they just cut me. I'm so confused. I've been here for five years. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm good enough. I don't, what's going on? 
so then my now favorite coach is like, yeah, well, you got an ego problem. And I was like, oh, do I now? (laughs) (laughs) Basically just trying to teach me a lesson about like being a good teammate, not having an ego, like sit down, shut up and get to work type of deal. And so he started off that season by cutting me and then me having to basically grovel and ask my way back onto the team. And to this day, we're still really good friends. And, you know, that's my guy. But that was a tough lesson at the moment. I was like, are you kidding me? I've already spent five years here. This is BS. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast or not. No, you can do whatever you want on this podcast. I love this. (laughs) To a 14-year-old, that's bold. Yeah. I think I needed to be knocked down a few steps. So, like, (laughs) he knew I could take it, even if I was crying, crying in the bathroom. But sometimes you just need a good cry. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I've heard. I haven't taken yeah. advice yet and gone down that road, but I've heard everybody needs a good cry every once in a while. Even Dude. when you're in COVID quarantine, you haven't cried yet? My God, good for oh, you. I'm, uh, I was loving it. It's just yeah, funny all day. I'm just like watching 12 hours on all my <laughs> But um, going back to your ego problem, this is fascinating yeah. stuff. Did you – I was okay, because every – like fairly highly touted athlete has an ego problem between the ages of like 20 till whenever I don't know like 22 I guess you kind of start figuring out like oh there's actually people that are really really good at this Mm -hmm. was that same coach did he usually was he usually the one that like kept you down not kept you down but like kept you in check or there other people involved too um he was the one that kind of started it um and he was my first year 14s coach and he we worked more than the 18s teams we were in the gym more than them and we couldn't even drive yet so that's saying something (laughs) uh and he just taught us about work ethic and getting in the gym and like if you want something you're gonna work your ass off to get it period like nothing's gonna be handed to you and so he really instilled that for me Uh, at least especially I felt it like every day coming in the gym you knew that you were gonna get that work in Um, so then after him he actually left the next year so I didn't get to have him again Um, but there had been a couple of club coaches along the way though not as strong so I would say my ego was still kind of there and it would get stroked a little more than if I did if I was with him Um, and then college came And I kind of knew how to be a good teammate, but not a great teammate and definitely not a captain at that level, at the collegiate level. And so my college coach, Kelly Sheffield, he helped a lot with that too, in terms of not knocking me down, but just saying like, hey, like, yes, you're really good, but this is how you can help your team be better. And it's going to, yeah, yeah. Just like leveling me out and helping me out like knowing where I was but then also kind of I don't know working together to figure out okay how can we make this the best possible situation for everyone so yeah for sure yeah my mom with my mom I was fortunate to to have my mother and my father as my coach my mom Mm. was more fortunate yo for sure my mom's an Olympian so having an Olympian to help you is like okay Yeah, it's you learn great. something new every day. That's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. So my mom was the one, like anytime I came back for some high performance thing, I'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, 
high performance. I got Juno <laughs> stuff. I'm king. Well, Mac well, Daddy. And she would just crush me. She'd be like, uh-huh. you, think, you think you know like everything? Blah, blah, blah. You're shit. But in Spanish. <laughs> I was like, damn it. <laughs> but I honestly, I don't know how you were. This is my question to you. Because for mm-hmm. me, I kind of knew I was getting an ego. Mm-hmm. And I would come back and be like, let's see if she notices. <laughs> and then I kind of waited for her to put me down. Did that happen to you too? Yeah, not with my parents. They're like my biggest fans and they think I am perfect. And I'm like, I am so far away from perfect. It's insane. But thanks for the support. Um, I, I think kind of like you, as you get older too, you just become more self-aware of like, okay, I'm why am I thinking like this? Like, I am not the hottest shit to walk this planet. Get over it. Get over yourself. So I kind of learned that as I went through high school. Um, But then especially in college, I was just, I was always so careful about like my wording, whether it be to my teammates or to newspapers, like you never, I don't know, I guess I kind of learned not to put myself above other people um, and like put myself on a pedestal. I always tried to, I don't know, diminish I guess in a way and like redirect always towards the team or what we were focusing on so I think I've gotten better with that as I've gotten older and now honestly it's kind of hard to have an ego like at all everyone's just I always feel like everyone's so much better than me and I'm chasing people now and I don't that just wasn't the case in high school for sure do you ego's kind of tricky though because you need one to be good to an extent yeah Right. So like, do you find it tough to balance as well with like the new challenges that are rising in international volleyball for you and just going up and like diminishing yourself, essentially? Do you also Mm -hmm. feel like you have to build yourself now? Like it's almost gone to like a point of diminishing returns where like, I think I might need to start building myself up a little bit more. For sure. And of course it depends on the day and like kind of the flow you're in. There's some parts of the season you're just vibing. Like, you're playing great. Okay. We're just at this level ground. And then there's other times or other seasons, even like my first year in Italy, my first professional year struggle bus. Like I was driving that bus, but I got to the point where I was like, okay, I know I'm good, but I am playing like trash every single day. Like, I don't know how to help hype myself up or get myself out of this. Um, the next year I kind of learned, there was going to be ebb and flows, of course, throughout the season, but kind of like what you were saying, so important just to build yourself up and say, okay, listen, you're here for a reason. Like believe that you're this good and believe that you are supposed to be where you are. Um, So yeah, I kind of just going back to like, you are here for a reason, believe it and start playing up to your potential. Um, So yeah, I totally agree. Especially as a professional, like you can't get down on yourself. This is what you're paid to do. Like, build yourself up to where you got to be for sure do you remember who we were talking about or talking to jackson we were talking about positive self-talk what interview that was i don't remember who it was specifically but i mean mean, self-talk self-talk is a big part of the ego whether it's present or not present or whatever it is like the way you're speaking to yourself like, you're not going to be mean to anyone else, so why are you going to be mean to yourself? Yeah, yeah that's a tough one. Well, that's a tough one. 
but we were like we were talking about it and uh shit what was i gonna say god damn i totally forgot what were we talking about positive self-talk mm-hmm. oh how like like when you look in the mirror right and like you have those moments where you look in the mirror and you're like all right i'm the tits i got <laughs> i'm the man like i'm the greatest like those moments that two 30 in the morning we're like i am so good at this i don't know and you're like i don't know why it's 3 p.m i don't think the same thing and then for some reason everybody thinks positive self-talk is like one talk in the mirror after a nice shower we're like i'm the best i'm the greatest thing ever but in reality it's like some days it's all day like from all the moment, day the moment you wake up you're just like all right, I'm going to make the hell out of these eggs. You know, like I'm going to do this. I got this. I got this. I'm pumping myself up today because I just. Dang, I need to be more like you, Matt, over here. Yeah, I'm just. Hyping yourself up, making avocado toast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then other days you just wake up and you're just like, I feel pretty good. good. (laughs) Those days where you wake up feeling down and you're just like, all right, come on, man. Figure it out. Now well, those are the tough days too. I agree. I mean, especially with the with how unique your guys's lifestyle is, living in a different country around uh, different speaking people, different culture, everything. How do you kind of manage that day to day stability? Kind of depends, honestly. At least for me, it used to be really my mood, how I was feeling about myself, how I woke up it correlated a lot to what was going on on the court and how we were doing. Um, I've kind of learned to detach myself a little more now I've gotten older. It's so important just to like, once you're done off the court, try and walk away, distract yourself, find other hobbies and things to do when you get home. Cause you're thinking about a 25, eight, it is like exhausting. And so I don't know. I, I just, as I've gotten older, I've just tried to not think about volleyball when I'm off the court. <laughs> it's, it gets tough, but I think it helps at least me. Now I have two other Americans on my team as the foreigners. So it doesn't feel like I'm in that foreign of a country. I'm all alone. It doesn't feel like that, but other situations are totally different. Like Matt is in the middle of the boonies of Turkey. So I can't imagine how you're dealing with it every day, but depends on the person too. For sure. For like for me, I don't know how you are. It, I I didn't come from like a militant background, but I for sure was huge on like reps. I was like, mm-hmm. if I set X amount of balls today, that's a great day. Mm-hmm. And I'm I still am. I'm not like you gotta end on a make or whatever, but I'm like, I gotta end on a good feeling. Fair. I don't care if it goes in, but if that ball feels great coming out of my hands five times in a row, I'm done. And if that takes, I heard uh, Urban Meyer say this, he's like, I don't care how long it takes us to get one hour of good practice. If it takes Mm -hmm. us eight hours to get one hour, then it's going to take eight hours. And I remember thinking I was, that's how I was in high school where I was like, if it has to take me two hours (laughs) to get this goddamn hoop, to get five really, really good feeling balls, then it's that's how it's going to take. And if it takes yeah. five minutes, then it's going to take five minutes. But that's just like, 
that's how it's going to be. So for me, if I have a horrible day, mm-hmm. like horrible, sometimes I just like bring out the hoops. Bring just out- to get that feeling like good vibes going into the next day. Yeah. So then I can at least walk out of there or if it's just like a servant pass day kind of, and you're not doing a lot, then I'm like, all right, I need to do something to like make it feel like I've invested something in my day. So bring out the hoops. But as long as I come out of it, like I invested something, I gathered something from this day, then I can sleep peacefully. Fair enough. But it's those, man, those days where you walk out of there and you're just like, what happened? Yeah. You're like, that was tragic. But (laughs) then you kind of, you kind of think of it like, okay, it literally can't get worse tomorrow. So that's a good thing. Tomorrow's bound to be better than today. Oh yeah. (laughs) How do you, I have a question for you. I, I texted Micah Christensen about this because I had two of the worst days of my life where it felt like the ball, it, it felt like the ball couldn't get over the net. I was like, God. Yeah, dude. fair. You know, I mean, like, those days, <laughs> yes. like oh, this is brutal. So I was like, dude, I'm having brutal days. How do you get through this? And he told me, he's like, I just, oh, he's like, I just simplify it. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Like, that's good for you. I'm the opposite. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have to do something so absurd (laughs) to, like, wake, almost wake myself up out of this trap. Uh How how do you deal with really shit days? Yeah, I would say, okay. I think I'd go a little bit more with what he said in terms of simplifying it. So I'll go in, say I have like three big focuses for the day and everything has gone to shit. This practice is going terrible. I'm like, how can I set a ball without doubling it? Blah. I'll be like, okay, right now I'm about to focus on being under the ball in neutral. Like that's it. I don't care where it ends up. I don't care about any of that. I'm just going to be under the ball in neutral. Um, so I'd say focusing on something, but almost making it not about the set in general, if that makes sense. Like sometimes I try and distract and be like, okay, I'm not even going to worry about setting because this is so tragic right now. I just want to get good defensive touches. Right. And then when I'm worrying about defensive touches, magically the setting part starts to pull itself together because mm-hmm. my mind is not thinking about setting at all. Um, so I'd say those are the two things, just like simplify and make one big focus or make that focus completely opposite of what you're trying to work on. So then your mind has to think about that. It works for me. I don't know if it works for other people, but like, oh, no. distract, sure. distract. You know, Marvel always used to say that. He's like, if something's going bad, just start. He's like, just cover. Like start yeah. thinking about, just start thinking about something for your teammates. So he's mm-hmm. like, the easiest one is like, just start covering. So like, if I'm ever in the trenches, I'll just start yelling cover. <laughs> you know, then, like, That's when we know things are going to shit. Yeah, just start covering everything. Cause I'm like, man, if I can't do that, I was like, I gotta do something. Right. And like, whether for it's sure, positive block sure, touches, gonna, something. Yeah, for sure, I'm gonna have to cover these balls because these sets are a little <laughs> crappy. So we're gonna have to cover today. Oh my god, you're helping yourself. That's what you're ultimately doing. Just keep recycling, guys. That's what I say. Just keep recycling. They, I love that. Wait, I'm I, stealing that. Oh yeah. Or like if I'm ever having a bad day with high balls, I'm like, guys, I'm putting everything 50-50. Just go joust. Yeah, yeah. 
Just hold and block out. Yeah. Hold oh and block God. out. Like, guys, just joust. Or recycle it. <laughs> you know, just push it in and we get another chance. There you go. Produce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Unbelievable. How was your time at Wisconsin? Because I went to PEP and, you know, Firestone Fieldhouse is huge. It holds like 1,500 people. Uh, <laughs> it holds more than that. Okay, 2,000. <clears throat> and uh, I've always been curious because Wisconsin, how was Wisconsin before you got there? Because when you yes. were there, it was lit. <laughs> it was litty. Oh, I miss college so much. Everyone's always like, okay, I even say it now. I'm like, embrace the moments you have because that is the best four years of your life, at least for me. Um, but before I got there, it was, okay, they were good in like the early to mid 2000s. And then from like late 2000s to when I got there, bad. Like just not making the tournament even, finishing really low in conference, just struggling. And so um, this did not there was a coaching. You from wanting to commit at all? No, because I wanted to be like a part of something. Like I wanted to build it back from the ground up. And I just, just kind of liked that challenge of going in. And so even my senior year in high school, they changed coaching staffs from the staff that I'd known for six, seven years by now. Um, and this new guy, Kelly Sheffield came in and it took one call and I was like, this is my dude. Like, we're going to do some good things together. Um, we just had like the same exact plan of what we wanted this program to look like and achieve and la di da. So, um, yeah, it wasn't great going in. And then what do you know, freshman year, new staff comes in, um, our freshman class comes in, and then we make it to the national championship um, on our first go round. And that was just like <laughs> Cinderella story ride. And it was really cool to experience um, sophomore year, Big Ten championship, and then junior, senior year, not awesome finishes, not the same. It was like Sweet 16, Elite 8. Um, and now, though, we have this culture of like, okay, we are competing for championships every year, whether it's Big Ten championships, national championships, and we're getting all these big name recruits. So it's pretty cool to see something that you helped build from the ground up again. It was tough watching the finals last year because they played so well, but they just, you, you just didn't have a shot against that Stanford team. No, not when you have that amount of like a talent, firepower, and just overall strength in their game. I mean, they didn't have any weaknesses, yeah. really. But yeah, Wisconsin played really well. Like some of the mm -hmm. digs, their defensive plays they were making was unbelievable. But yeah, yeah, I just couldn't score off it. Yep. What was one of the biggest things that uh, like resonated with you with Kelly when you first? called him we were like this is my guy like we're in it together. yeah good question I think just kind of the passion and the lofty goals that he had before he even stepped on campus bought a house or anything he was like listen I know what I am capable of I know what we are capable of together and this program like we this is what I want to do and we're gonna do it and he didn't come in with just these like, oh, let's kind of see what happens. He came in like, we're going to be the best, like 
passing and defensive team in the country, period. And set these goals from day one. So I think just hearing that from him and I don't know, just kind of wanting to bring Wisconsin back to the national spotlight for me, I was like, this is my dream school and you're making it like this beacon again. So that's kind of what drew me to him initially. And so your first day when you walk on campus, mm-hmm. like, cause this is a, a big thing that we talk about on this podcast a lot is culture and how do you establish culture? Yeah. How, how did he establish that? Cause it's all kids that have obviously not been doing great. Like it's a very, it's a dormant franchise. Mm-hmm. Right? And so like, how dormant do you franchise. change, like how do you change everybody's mindset and make them believers? And like, was it just you, your freshman class as well that could embody that and be like, Hey, this is who we are now. Or like, how did that happen? It was actually pretty incredible because he got there in the spring. And so the girls, um, before I got there, those girls that had been on this like losing program, they got to experience them in spring training and, anyone knows like spring training is just tough. You're lifting at 6am and you're doing your practices in the morning and then you come back and you do it again at night. And it's just like a grind. And the great part about them and just that group is that they were from day one willing to buy in. Like they were all such hard competitors. They hated losing. They hated looking for a losing. Yes. They're like someone just please help. Like we want to do great things. We want to work hard and it took Kelly just to come in and like say and kind of lead the way right so for me coming in and they had already had spring and summer training all together um I came in a little later that year but it was just like all right like we're all locked and loaded and ready to go um and we were just gonna play hard and I think the biggest thing was we didn't have targets on our back that year. No one expected us to come out and play as fierce as we did. Um, but it was kind of that year of like, we're going to gain everyone's respect back and no one is ever going to take us like a Wisconsin game for granted again. Um, and think of us as like the pushovers. So yeah, just him coming in and saying, let's do this thing together. Like you guys are willing and in here to work hard. Let's do it. That's gnarly. Good for him. I mean, he yeah. also, it's kind of like the timing was also perfect because none of you were his recruits. Exactly. But for some reason, like you guys just overlapped and coincided with him so well that it would, I mean, that does make it kind of a Cinderella story. It, yeah, it really does. And just, um, we did this thing as personality assessments at the beginning of the year, and he still does this with all of his teams. And it's the disc assessment and basically going through and describing each person's personality on and off the court, how they best communicate with other people. And it's like a, like each person gets 56 pages or something ridiculous. Um, but of course they narrow it down and we have a two day meeting on it, I think, and just learning how to best interact with each other and learning why, you know, in stressful situations, some people just get really quiet and laser focused and other people need to joke around and like laugh with others and stay loose to perform their best. So learning about your teammates that deep in detail, I don't know. I just think it really helps with connections on and off the court and bonding and 
kind of learning why people act the way they do. Yeah, I think that is so important. The one, when I played in Holland, the one year that we won the league, mm -hmm. the only time that I've won the league since I've played my sixth year, we had a psychologist and she did the same thing. Like she just sat down, we broke everybody down. We would have a meeting mm -hmm. every month to like check on the team psychology, where we're at. And then I don't know how women are. Men are kind of different in the sense that like, if something's going wrong, then everybody's just like, all right, everybody, you're meeting here at Saturday night, you're meeting at the bar. And however long it's going to take for us to figure it out, it takes. And, like, everybody, say your piece. Mm -hmm. And once you say your piece, then it's like, all right, everybody knows where we're at. And we can move on from this. And I think, like, I mean, that's not, like, psychological, but at least, like, you say your piece. So, like, having somebody come in and you get to understand each one of your teammates and then, like, specify certain things for you. That's like a tremendous help in my book. It's huge. Cause especially there's some people whose personalities, they don't show, they don't outwardly show that they care about things. Like they right. internalize everything. And so like they have this poker face. You're like, are you even here? Like, do you even care? And yes, they care, but they just go about it a different way. They don't express it like other people do. So that was one of the biggest things shocking for me because I am super like emotional in a way, but like expressive, like, you know, exactly how I'm feeling by how I look. And so coming in and like seeing people who didn't do the same thing as me, I was super confused. But once we had this meeting and kind of talked everything over, I was like, okay, the light bulb switched. I got it. I understand now. Did you also talk to your teammates individually just to have a even better understanding of them after like after all that stuff happened or did that they're freshmen so it's kind of tough to do that but like as time wore on did you get better at it or what did that matter to you at all um I would say luckily I knew most of the girls um just coming up through high school and them being at Wisconsin and all the camps and stuff so I was able to have those conversations pretty easily and openly um the good thing about our team was at least my first year, we were pretty similar. Um, we were all extremely high, like dominant um, and competitive people. And so we just kind of had a mutual understanding. There was a few girls who were, they call them S's, but like just steady and kind of these poker face people I was talking about where I would have to have just extra conversations with just to kind of understand where they were coming from and kind of, what, how can I best help them? Because if I'm coming in your face screaming like, let's go, like we need to get our shit together, they're not gonna respond well. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> I had to have these conversations and say, hey, like Duello, like what can I do to help you in these situations? So those were super valuable. Just taking that extra time to help a teammate out paid off in the long run for sure. With your pro teams, have you guys done anything like that? Absolutely not. <laughs> you, wish Girl, you, you see that paycheck? <laughs> what? You wish you guys would or had? You know, I don't know. I'm so so on it. For me, 
we're doing a job and we're all professionals. So whether we like each other on or off the court or not, it doesn't matter. Like when it comes time to play and compete, like I expect everyone to go out and give a hundred percent and like leave all that extra BS, whatever's happening um, off the court. So I don't know. I mean, yes, it may help. I'm just not sure if everyone would fully buy into it like we did when we were in college. Just different cultures. And you're, you're only on the team for one year, like one season, whereas in college you're in that for the long haul, you know, I don't know. Were you, did you, were you like this from your first year where it's like, it's pro like every man for himself or were you still in college days where it's like, we're all supposed Mm. to be a team. Kumbaya. Yeah. Like let's all love (laughs) each other and hang out. Um, you know, I had heard like expect something different, but I didn't realize how different it was going to be. So I think, yeah, I was in a culture shock, um, just with that aspect of team dynamics, but then also like level of play, like you get thrown in and I played it only my first year. And so it was just like, oh, so this is how 32 year olds play. This is how, like I had a girl on my team. Was it that year? Second year. She's 40, you know, like just completely different cycles of life that were on and in. And I just wasn't used to that. So I think that's why I had such a hard time my first year, just expecting completely different culturally. Um, and then team dynamic wise. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember you like talking to Maddie when it was your first year and you're just like, this is a disaster. like this is not going as planned by any yeah no and it was just like wow I hope every year isn't going to be like this because I don't know how long I'm going to make it if that's the case because like I said struggle bus conductor was it just here I come Looking back now and knowing the club and the situation in general, um, I jumped into the deep end in terms of management, coaching, all of that. Like Italians are already very emotional to start. And then I have a manager. I had a manager and president who were older, knew nothing about volleyball and was like, expecting us to win every single match, even though the previous season they were in like fifth place or something. Um, and we actually ended up really good that year. We ended up qualifying for champions league. So I don't know, just between having a coach who just constantly yelled and so much feedback, I, my head would explode. Um, and trying to get my feet under me professionally. It was just, it was tough. Yeah. Then next year, the next year you went to Navarra. Yeah. What a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. You walked out of there with a Champions League. I know. It really, like, honestly, that year was the easiest year still because Coach Massimo Barbellini, insane, insanely talented, loved him. Our practices would last an hour and a half max. We're out of the gym. And just, like, get in, get to work, get it done fast. You get to go home. And I had another American with me. We won Champions League. Yeah, it was like easy peasy year. 
How was dealing with Agonu? It was... So remember when I was talking about being like a therapist, a yeah. coach, a setter. Yeah, all these things. I definitely, I definitely got good practice that year. Um, between having to like, you know, navigate, I'm sure as a setter, you're like, they're asking, okay, we need the balls two inches higher. You're like, oh, do you know? And then you go and you set the same exact ball and they're like, perfect. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, I, there was a lot of that. Just like trying to keep my emotions in check. Thank God I had another American with me. It was just like, deep breaths, Lauren. It's fine. She's scoring all of our points. So, you know, just give her the ball. I'm like, all right. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit of a challenge at times. Um, just with egos and managing amount of balls she got and other people getting upset that they're not getting enough balls. So it's always a balancing act as a setter, but uh, it was good practice. That's for sure. Yeah. Going forward, it would like, uh, it can't get much worse. Right. Cause yeah. then the next, well, well, then would... next year, I feel like you've had like the gnarliest opposites ever. Yeah. You went to Moscow the next year and you had Goncharova. Yeah. Yeah. Who, it was great because like, I couldn't understand what she was saying. So it was like, I'm sure she was saying so many bad things, but I couldn't understand. So I was like, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, completely oblivious, which was good. But that, I mean, Russia volleyball is just not my style, obviously, like just super boring for me, high balls to the pins. And that was it. So, not my cup of tea. Fair <laughs> Live and you learn. Lucky you, COVID struck and you got out of it. <laughs> I, know, I know. And honestly, we were pretty much done with season. I think we only had three games left. Because um, we had already, I think we had already lost out of Champions League. So, yeah, we had only three matches left. So, we were on our way out anyways. Bless up. And now in Turkey. How are you enjoying Turkey? I'm in Turkey. I love Turkey. I don't know about you, Matt. I love this place. Like, I want to stay here until I finish my career. Well, to Jackson. Yeah. I said the exact same thing. I was like, I'd stay in Turkey for the rest of my career easily. Yes. It just is such a good balance of everything. Volleyball is high level. Standard of living is really high, at least for, like, Americans and foreigners. Like, we get paid pretty well. So between that and just being in a really cool place, great food, people are so helpful and so nice. I was not expecting that level of like service and helpfulness in a way. Um, but yeah, even with COVID, this place has been a dream. Like I feel safer here than I do in the States. So if it's up to me, I'd like to stay. <laughs> if they'll have me. For sure. And you guys are killing it. We're having a good year so far, knock on wood. We have four tough matches coming up, but yeah, I just, I really like the dynamic of this team and we have a really good culture and um, our coach definitely drives that. Like he's completely crazy, but he knows his shit. And so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he's an Italian, but doesn't really act like an Italian. And um, yeah, he's tough. 
but in a great way. And I think our young team has just like been thriving off of that and his energy. So yeah, just trying to get through these last four games unscathed and then go into January in a really good position. That would be great. Yeah. Is there, I'm just thinking, is there something now that you've learned in this being your fourth year that you could tell yourself Mm -hmm. when you were in Scandici or you could tell a young setter that's going over abroad for the first time to be in like in a tough situation, like a high pressure situation. Yeah. That like really stands out to you. I think the biggest thing is don't let one bad day turn into another. Um, I definitely got into that, like, just waterfall effect of, like, one day would go into another, which turned into a week, which then turned into a couple weeks. And it's just, like, you can't let yourself – I don't know. You can't be your harshest, hardest critic. Like, there's going to be plenty of other people doing that for you. So control what you can control. Step away, like, mentally from the game as much as you can. Um, And kind of like what we were talking about, early like at the end of practice even if it was a terrible day do something good to make yourself I don't know feel positive rolling in the next day of practice um and I don't know I guess just going overseas for your first year I've never heard anyone go into their first years overseas and be like it was fantastic I got MVP we won the league we did amazing no you're lying okay you struggled straight through that so it's not going to be easy and you're going to live and you learn. Um, but it will get better as long as you're an active participant in your own rescue. <laughs> it's like your freshman year of college. You're like, Oh, this is so great. This is so exciting. Like I get to do something new. I get to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. new. And then three months in, you're like, oh, it's kind of overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or way harder work than you thought it would be balancing like school volleyball training study hall classes like everything there's so much on your plate it's really hard to manage when you first get there yeah and then professionally I don't know about you but when I went overseas the first time I'm like holy hell what do I do from the hours of 11 a.m till 5 p.m this is way too much time do I take two naps do I go on six walks like what do I do with my free time? Like, I hated sitting around. That was miserable for me. Now I love it. <laughs> I don't remember what I did. I would always try to get lunch somewhere. I was like, does anybody want to go get lunch and kill two hours? Mm-hmm. And then I would come back. I can't take naps. They, like, ruin the rest of my day. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. I'm just not a napper. You're just sluggish or negative Nancy or what? Nah, I'm pretty sluggish, yeah. I heard, you know, actually my coach my first year told me statistically, like if you want to get the best sleep or the optimal time for a nap is under 45 minutes and over two hours. And I was like, yeah. What? Under- Who sleeps for over two hours? You're going to bed at nighttime if you're sleeping over two hours. Right. So then I, so when he told me that, it was pretty early in the process. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to try naps for like the next two, three weeks and like test it, 
CLEs and go. So I put like, you know, I do like 44 minutes and I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty good. And then uh, here's, and then I like, you know, like those ones where you're so tired where you sleep for like three hours and you're like, oh man. What, like, it's what month is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, it's over. It worked. I'm telling you. And then when I woke up anywhere in between that, it was a disaster. Had the worst practice. Wow. Couldn't see the ball. <laughs> I'm more on the short and sweet end as well. I'm like, if I sleep for 30 minutes, prime time. I'm thriving after that. Yeah. yeah. I always I feel you on sleep. that. This, I also love this about turkey. You play at like two. Yes. It's so sick. You have the rest of your day to do whatever you want. And go to dinner. Yeah, I was telling pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, I was telling Maddie. I was like, I don't have time to be anxious about the match. Exactly. Which I love. I'm like, I can't think about (laughs) how I could mess up the match tonight. I don't have any time to do that. It's incredible. Like 2 p.m., they first off, you don't even do serve pass. So it's like you wake up, you have your breakfast, you go to your game. Whereas if you're playing at 8.30, like you do in Italy, you are there when the sun rises and then you watch the sunset and then you're still not heading to the gym. And you're like, I've had three meals, one practice, but I've watched the sun set and rise and the game still hasn't happened. The worst. And like, I remember playing last year in France, I would like sit there and take a two hour nap and wake up. Mm -hmm. It's (laughs) 2.30. (laughs) <laughs> what else am I going to do today? And then we spend the next, I don't know, six hours or whatever, just pacing. Yep. Like, uh, thinking about all I your tactics. Think about this. I don't want to, yeah. And then you start overthinking and you're like, am I underthinking? Am I even thinking? Uh, <laughs> and then all it takes is like, you just touch the ball once. And it's like, ah, oh, I remember this. Yep. It's oh, like, okay. It's like, yeah, oh, but you don't like waiting long. 12 hours to do that. No, I don't. Not by any nope. means. I don't think most mm-hmm. people do. Nope. Yeah, that's what's uh, what's your communication with the USA program right now? What are you guys kind of expecting coming up? In there, saying twenty twenty one Olympics is a go. There has been no talks of like postponement, cancellation. They are one hundred percent planning. So. Right now, what we're doing, we've been meeting once a month as a USA team via Zoom. Um, two different groups. There's like the Asian countries who are playing and USA players. I think there's one or two um, that meet. And then the European girls. And we'll just go over kind of what's happening. Um, any updates? We'll talk to our uh, psychologist. And it'll be about an hour and a half meeting. Um, so we do that once a month. But other than that, the only way we're really communicating uh, is if we're doing it on our own or through like volumetrics, they'll watch all of our matches and they'll comment on things and, um, you know, techniques, things they're wanting us to kind of work and fix on as we're going through our pro season. So that's been mainly how we keep in touch. And then the plan is when we get back from our pro seasons, probably have 10-ish days at home, depending on when we finish, and then head out to California and start training most of us didn't get the chance to do that last summer. So yeah, as of now, full go. So crazy. 
Just the, just the unknown, like, yeah, we think the Olympics are going to happen. It better happen. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just, and especially these people who are, have wanting, been wanting to retire, right? And wanted to retire after 2020. And now they have to go play another professional season and then have one more year of training, preparation, and then hopefully the Olympics. It's just like so many unknowns. You can't plan anything. It's exhausting, but just got to hope for the best and do what you can in the moment to be prepared for when that time comes to get back in the gym. How long do you think you want to play for? I'm planning on stopping when I'm 29. Um, so after 2024, uh, I might do one professional year after that, just depending on like kind of where I'm at in my life and the situation, sure. but I do not see myself playing past that. I already do not feel great physically. So <laughs> I think at that point I'll be ready to step away from the game and kind of start a new challenge, a new path. But who knows? Such a definite age. 29. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. 29 years old and same because it's like that's 2024. Like after 2024 Olympics, I want to be, I think I want to be done. Good for you. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I know some different. people are like 38, 39. We'll see. Micah Christensen was like four Olympics. And I was like, what? <laughs> four? Four? Yeah, he wants four. And I, knowing yeah. Micah, like, he'll get a taste of four and be like, I could do five. What's, my, what's five? Yeah, but I already what's did five? four. One four years. Whatever. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see where I'm at in my life. But. I don't see myself going past that. What do you see yourself doing after your career, though? Jackson, that is a great question that I absolutely don't have the answer to. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I, I, you know, I majored in retail and entrepreneurship in college. I don't know why. Um, it was just, it sounded interesting at the time, but I'm not sure I'm super interested in that now. Um, I'm not sure. I'm like, I do like startups and entrepreneurship things, but I'm not super creative. So I would be interested in helping other people um, with like startups or new ventures. I have no idea what that would look like though. Um, maybe something with commentating, broadcasting. I don't know. I just, I'm not very good with my words sometimes. So I don't know how well that would go either. We'll just, we'll have to see. I think it's all about who I know and what opportunities arise when the time comes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I have a question for you as a learner. A learner. Okay. Yes. And like how you learn. So Jackson and I have been going down this rabbit hole of this phenomenon. It's not a phenomenon. It's a philosophical way of teaching called ecological dynamics. Oh God. Jackson. My brain's exploding just listening no, 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 to you. No, no. Okay. It's, like, it's really simple. Jackson, would you like to define? No, you got it. You need the reps. <laughs> no, come on, dude, please. So, it really simply. Yeah, so the basis of it is instead of like me as a coach and you as a player, like you do a couple reps and I give you some kind of internal feedback, the idea is to set up an activity to where you're going to have to do 
what I want just by accomplishing the goal of that activity. So there's going to be less feedback from me to you, but you're going to somehow figure it out. It's kind of a, there's not just one way to do things. There's not one way to set you and Matt set differently, you and whoever else sets differently, but you, you guys could get put in the same activity and accomplish the same thing. If that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And I would agree that that's a thing because at least from what I'm understanding, it's kind of like, all right, you're telling me to do something or putting me in a situation to be successful in whatever aspect you're wanting me to be successful in or achieve. And I don't know. I mean, I think that's just, I think team dynamics in general, like you set up the system and how can we find a way to work in this and thrive in that system? Um, and people are going to go about it differently, but the end goal is still the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made sense. I don't know if that's kind of on the same terms. Makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely related. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, like at the end of the day, there are certain plays in volleyball where like that guy has a high volleyball IQ or that girl has a high volleyball IQ. Cause it just makes sense from a creative logical standpoint. But I wanted to ask you the question because when you were at Spry and you were getting a majority of what, of your reps put in after every rep, were they correcting every single little thing you did or was it more like a, that's Lauren, that's her style. Like now we're just going to set into a hoop a hundred thousand times and you're going to perfect that style. At Spry, it was very information-based. Like you were getting feedback almost every single ball and everyone, they, I mean, we tried, we were called the Spry robots for a reason. Like it was like an assembly line. You couldn't, if a Spry setter, if you're running forward, 1000% you're going to set back along the net. Like, cause that is just what our repetition and our feedback, that's what we were supposed to do. And that's what we were trained to do. As I got older, I had to almost deprogram myself and like, okay, Lauren, every time you run forward, don't set back because people scout this and they know. Um, so I think that's a dope part about being a setter too, is like, there's always a game within the game and you're trying to manipulate the blocking seam on the other side of the net in the middles. I'm going to run whatever this middle on a set there or whatever you guys call it a gap. And I'm going to isolate the opposite and then vice versa and trying to move them while still being good, like technically for you. Um, I don't know. I just, I kind of like that game within a game and messing with the other middles and other schemes uh, defensively. So, so yeah. Thank you. It's just interesting because you were saying how in Italy you just got bombarded with information. Mm -hmm. So then when you're at Wisconsin, was Kelly not giving you as much information? Because it's the opposite for me. In club, I got like zero feedback. Man, so it's just free for all. It was like, go play, go enjoy yourself. (laughs) The only feedback I got was, are the middles jumping or not? Okay. And like, other than that, it was like, just run an offense and like if the middles are committing you can do whatever you want from there Mm -hmm. and then in college I got bombarded so it's like that was did Kelly would did I mean the hell did Kelly tell you did he tell you a lot or what did he kind of like leave you 
No, Kelly pretty much left me. He he kind of the start started the process of like deprogramming some of my tendencies. Yeah. Um which was good. So then teams couldn't scout me quite as easily. Um, but he didn't give me quite as information. Of course we have our scouting reports, but in the games, it wasn't constant feedback. It was just like, Hey, read the game, go do you. And I'll let you know if something is changing or we need to, you know, adapt and adjust. But for the most part, I did my own thing and got a little bit of information from him. Um, so yeah, I think that was also hard. Then going into Italy, my first year, and a coach yelling at me in Italian and broken English all the time, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Stop yelling at me, uh, um, and freaking out. So yeah, it just and it changes every year. Like this year, my coach, so much information. He doesn't even know when he's giving information. He's just a million miles a minute. And you kind of have to learn how to tune him out because he really doesn't know he's giving that much information. Um, but it's like, you kind of, we get to the point in our career where we're like, all right, I'm going to take this little bit of information and this little bit of information and the rest of this, I don't need right now. I'll save this for a later time. Sure. Which one, which do you prefer or which do you excel in? Like, would you rather get a very small amount of information would you rather get no information or all the information? Damn, that's a good question. I would say all the information, at least where I'm at right now in my career, give me all the information and then I can minimize from that. Like I can pick and choose what I want to use in the game. But I feel like if I go in and I have no information at all, I don't know. Yes, I'm playing free, but I also don't really have a rhyme and a reason to why I'm doing what I'm doing. For sure. What yeah. about you? I'm curious. Uh, that's a good, like, uh, we've been having this talk for the last two weeks now because mm -hmm. we have some friends that are, like, really drinking the Kool-Aid and they're all in. And I'm like, you can't, I was like, I don't know if I can be all in. I feel like you kind of need both sides of the coin to be successful. Agreed. You yeah. need that freedom to be able to kind of play and do you. Creative, for sure. You need like yeah. you have to have some kind of creative process, but you also have to have like principles as to why you're doing something. Exactly. Right? But I think uh, for me, I would rather, I think I'd want to know nothing. Because that doesn't surprise me. I would want to know nothing because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I learned pretty fast by watching. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, I mean, I watch a ton of volleyball on my own, on my own free time. So like, that's just how I mm -hmm. analyze things. So like I've told Jackson, I was like, if you give me a set, I'll know everything. Mm -hmm. I can figure things Fair. out. Right. So just by watching and analyzing and stuff, I like, I can figure something out. But if you gave me everything and then I walked into the game, if I'm in a little bit of the wrong mindset, just a little bit, no, I'll go blank. Really? Yeah. Like information overload or you're just like, no, like just, literally like, no I'll idea. Be, I'll be thinking about it so much all day. And then mm -hmm. when I get to the game, <laughs> like, I'll just okay. be like, 
what yeah oh but, and, see and it's I'll like studying up. for a test and right. knowing all the answers and then you get and look at the paper and you're like yeah so then like i'll know yeah. the opposite supposed to help with the gap but then i'll set the gap and i'll be like i knew that why yeah. did you do that <laughs> and I, I know that whereas like if you give me enough information which is obviously you learn this kind of on the fly and like over time like in france they gave me like a pretty limited amount of information where like we would just watch a set and they're like all right like there's your scouting report and i was like okay cool like that's wow. good you know and like you kind of go in and I was like that's not enough it's not enough to formulate a game plan and then yeah. they give me like a compilation of 30 minutes of like all the last five games in every rotation so then like i can watch it till i get an idea and i'm like okay i have an idea i can formulate a plan and then i'll make that plan based around my team because I, I do think yeah. a lot of people spend more time trying to plan against what they're going to do, which you have zero control, right? And I'm like, okay, based on the my and our team's offensive philosophy, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to get them to do what I want them to do. Well said. You know what I mean? The game within the game. Yeah, yep. but yeah, and at the end of the day, it always comes back to what my mom said of, like, are they jumping? Like, are they committing? Like, and then, If not, set the middle. Yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes it's that simple. Yeah, we really like to make things harder than they are as a setter. Okay. Some, like, I, I know I do that, too. And it's just like, oh, but I thought I saw this, and they were moving this way on this ball. They're like, no. You're not, you're not actually saying this. Just set the middle. Game right. over. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, or like, How often does it happen where you, you have a game plan set up and for whatever reason you just can't execute the plan based on the game? Like your middle sucks that day or the passing is off. Like you have a plan, but you don't have the opportunity to execute it. Um, I would say sometimes. Previous years, more than this year, just because this year, I kid you not, when we say that we watch video every single day for an hour before practice. So it's like we go over every single situation that could happen, will happen. So when we get to the game, like we have all this information already set in stone. Um, of course, there's time during the match where it's like, all right, our passing is struggling and I can't set the middle. So then that means we have one option basically as the opposite and they just have to go out and bang balls and hope for the best. Um, but I would say at least with this team, it doesn't happen so often where our game plan just completely gets blown up and we have to like reinvent the wheel. Sure. Luckily. Yeah. Well, that's great. I have for sure reinvent the wheel a couple times. I can imagine. <laughs> is there one that like stands out that you're like this game just went to hell and then this is how we adjusted man literally so many matches when i played in check because our coach mm. our assistant coach wanted us to run gap red till the day we like yeah. that's it he was like we only yeah. run gap red and i was like i know that there are some dumb middles i get yeah. that 
but there's also some smart ones. And sprinkled in there. A, I was like, there's going to be a time where we need to adapt. And I was like, what if I'm just not feeling setting like the gap well? Or what if exactly. we're having a really bad day? Then what? Yeah. So then it's like, yeah, there were times for sure. Like we would go down 0-2. I remember we, we came back down 0-2 seven times that season. I would, You're kidding. I swear, because I would scrap the whole thing. I would be like, we're not doing it. We're going yeah. <laughs> we're just running ones and pushes and like back ones. Like we're scrapping it. Boom. Gone. Over. Yep. You sh- I think yeah. you said a Guinness World Record seven times. That's tough. It was nuts. Yeah. But I was just like, whatever. Like, well, we talked about this too before with uh, Casey Kreider. It's like, you have to do what's best for the team in order to win. So if some mm-hmm. guys just aren't feeling good on a certain route, then you should have practiced well enough to be able to adapt and be like, all right, then yeah. wrap it. That's not the route we're going to run tonight. You can't be a one trick pony and win all your matches. Sorry. No, it's impossible. Kind of throw a wrench in the plan sometimes and see what happens. No, it's actually pretty fun sometimes too. We were like, let's just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's those are the moments where you have to think, okay, just one point at a time, guys. Yes, like, just play. Don't yeah. overthink things. Do not. We're not trying to win the match right now with this play. We're just trying to open up some options here. Mm-hmm. And once we get into a rhythm and we're comfortable, yes. then we can come back. The power of momentum <laughs> is insane. Yes. Can't explain it. You can't quantify it, but momentum is real. Yep. No, I completely agree. And, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I know a lot of people think it's really fun to watch rallies and all this stuff. But when I watch setters cutting up people, and it's like yeah. 60% FPSO on one side and it's 60% on the other side. And I have to wait till 23-23 to like mm-hmm. going to win the match. Those are my favorite <sighs> matches ever because I'm like, man, yes. I'm like, you don't understand how much brain power is going into both sides right now. And they're just cutting each other up. That's so fun. And then it doesn't happen so often anymore, but like going through and you're just dishing like all the goodies and you're here in the middle on the other side, like shit, shit, you know, like missing their, missing their moves. Oh my God. That just makes my day. I'm like, yes, more of this. (laughs) And you know, like, I don't know how, like for all of you guys, for me, whenever Anytime I doubt a play call, I'm like, I'm like, okay, the game plan says we're supposed to do this, but if I doubt it, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not calling it. I'm going with the gut instinct, and that's something I learned over time too, and that's taken me yeah. years. Where I'm like, you've been playing this game for so long, man. Believe it. If yeah. you don't think that's the right call. You don't have to, you don't need to explain yourself. It's probably not the right call. <laughs> exactly. Trust yourself. Well said. For a reason. Cause, 
even that's so true because then I mean I still find myself doing that sometimes where I'm like oh, I know I have to run this play because my coach is going to chew my ass if I don't but then I don't have confidence in the play so then I'm still thinking it about it as I'm setting it and then yes it's a crap set I set the wrong player something happens so it's like kind of what you said just trust yourself and trust your gut like you've been doing this long enough and we're reading the game as we're going just go with what you know. Like, I don't know. Trust yourself. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know what the worst is when I've had this multiple times where, like, coaches want to win match point. They don't tell you anything. They don't tell you anything for five sets or three or four or whatever. And all of a sudden, it's yes. 13. Time out. Matt, I want you to run, like, one yeah. go or one big. And it's like, my man, I have a plan. We are going yeah. to play it out. And you know what? In the past, I used to do what the coach said, and it never mm-hmm. worked. Because yeah. like, what you were thinking is what they're thinking. Exactly. And, like, and what my guys think is what I'm thinking. So if mm-hmm. you infiltrate our area, we're screwed <laughs> because there's seven of us here that all know what's going on, and you just injected an eighth all of a sudden. Don't be the eighth. Yeah, don't be the don't eighth. Don't be the eighth. Don't be the no, eighth. that's so true. That's so true. Sometimes, that's the same thing. Just like you have to have a certain pulse and sense of the team, especially as a setter. Like, all right, who's my hot hand right now? What is the other side doing? The coaches have a lot of other shit, yes, they're thinking about and they're seeing, but – you're the one on the court with everyone and like hearing all the conversations being had, like you're getting the full vibe. So you just got to trust yourself and your experience, especially going into those like tie break sets. Oh my God. All bets are off. Like we're just, we're winning period. Yeah. That's a, that or whenever, I don't know how you are. I literally have to tell myself this when I kind of start going down, it's like, you know, when, like, everybody starts fading, a little bit of fatigue mm-hmm. in, like, third or fourth set, and, mm-hmm. like, you, you rattle off, they rattle off, like, one or two cheeky aces, and then you kind of get a, you kind of get, like, a crap ball, and you got to uh-huh. the side out. Literally, I'll be running, and I'm like, you got to play with balls, kid, and I'll do something, <laughs> like, wild, yes. like, sliding back set. It usually yep. works. And then, um, and then everybody's back because, like, yeah. there's energy. And then it's like, all right, we're the back. energy flow. shift. Now flow is exactly. coming. Exactly. We got to get some flow here, guys. I totally feel you on that. It was setting, but also defensively. Like, in my head, I'm always like, all right, dude, just get me a really crazy block touch so I can go chase this down somewhere and, like, pull it off defensively. Okay, if we get one crazy defense play game, like, game back on yeah. our energy and momentum shift changes like that yes and then just make the next serve yeah. oh my god please for the love of god not in the <laughs> net our coach he's so funny he's so funny he <laughs> we were in practice one day and we were missing a lot of serves in the net and he was going on a rant he's like you are a child. You are children if you serve in the net. And then he goes on. He goes, can we not serve in the net until April? It's possible. And we're like, no. 
What do you know? The next freaking girl. Boom. Straight in the middle of that. <laughs> He's like, get on the line. <laughs> so now anytime any of the girls serve in the net, we just make a joke about it. And we're like, you're a child. Honestly. You're a freaking child. <laughs> just lightens the mood a little bit. I have a teammate on the bench. Every time I go back to serve, he goes, don't hit it in the net. So I had to. Is he 12? I, I called him aside like a couple weeks ago and I go, I was like, hey, you know, when you tell me don't hit it in the net, <laughs> the first thing I think is don't hit it in the net. And then where does it go? In the net. In the net. So I was like, I would really appreciate if you said like, go Mats. Encouragement would be great. Yeah. You don't have to tell me what. No. Let's rip this serve. Yeah. Oh, God. Hit the target. (laughs) Not in the net. Was this every time you went back to surf? Yeah, I think so. And then I just caught on once. And uh, then he started, he kept saying it. And I was like, hey, Uh calm down. We don't need this. Way to give him constructive feedback. I was was trying. Yeah. I did my best. Uh, well lauren i i think we're good here all right works for me if it works for you thanks for coming on and laughing and talking to us yeah Yeah. i'm so sorry you're in quarantine covid style hopefully you guys get negative tests that's a bummer (laughs) it's all good it could be worse we could be really i mean if we were really really sick then i'd be more concerned fair but at least everyone's all right. True. Could be worse. Well, good luck the rest of the way, Lauren. Thank you. Appreciate it. Four more games until break. Let's do it. Let's go. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Lauren. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. See you guys. Very good. See ya. Bye.